listeners and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Ozano and together with a selection of co-hosts from around the world, we discuss the ways in which people and communities connect with research and science. We hear from patients and survivors, health workers, policymakers, scientists and implementing research organizations about the methods and approaches that they apply to co-produce knowledge to address current global health challenges. Thank you for listening and on to this week's episode. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Connecting Citizens to Science podcast. Throughout this month's series, we will be exploring mental well-being amongst people affected by chronic health conditions. We will be sharing examples from neglected tropical disease research, or for short, NTDs. NTDs are a group of acute and chronic infections that frequently occur as a result of poverty, poor environmental conditions, and social disadvantage. People affected by NTDs are at higher risk of mental health conditions, and likewise, people with mental health conditions are at higher risk of living with an NTD. As a result, health programs focused on NTDs have begun to mainstream considerations around mental health within their work and increase links with mental health services. To support national health programs working on NTDs, we will be hearing about a collaboration today who are working to develop and implement an essential care package for people affected by NTDs in relation to their mental well-being. Within this podcast, we discuss the process of developing the package, its core components, and how this can support NTD programs across the world to integrate mental health in their services. Today's guests are Philip Odi from CBM Global Nigeria and Dr. Terry Asoka, who is an independent consultant for health and development. Before we meet our guests, let's meet our co-host, Tosin. Welcome. How are you today? And tell us a bit about yourself. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Hi, Kim. And um, welcome to everyone who is listening to us from wherever you are. Um, Tosin Adike is my name again. Uh, my background is in clinical psychology, uh, a PhD in clinical psychology, but I work with the Amadou Bello University Teaching Hospital, the Department of Psychiatry. And um, a lot of the work that I've done with um, in neglected tropical diseases is um, here in northern Nigeria, here in Kaduna State. And then um, primarily in recent times, I've been working on participatory methods, particularly um, not only with NTDs, but also with um, people with disabilities, particularly children. Thank you very much for tuning in today. Thanks, Tosin. Nice to hear from you again and, and welcome. I'm excited about today's episode. So, Dr. Terry Asoka, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself, the work you do, and um, where you are right now. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Kim. Um, I started originally as a medical doctor and then did advanced training in health, population, and nutrition, as well as in business administration and management in health. I work across several health-related issues, including market-based approaches and health system strengthening. My work has brought me to a point where uh, because of the fragmentation of care, especially for chronic health diseases, I'm particularly interested uh, and working along the areas of integrated care and collaborative service delivery for this sort of patients. Thank you. That's great. Thank you very much and welcome. Philip Ode from Nigeria, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, thank you very much, Kim. Um, very nice. Um, I'm very happy to be here. 
my name is Philip, uh, Philip Ode. I, I have a background in management studies and um, have also been in the development space uh, for uh, over 15 years now. First of all, uh, having some um, advanced um, learning and um, education in project management and um, specializing currently in mental health and disability inclusive development. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's uh, really interesting. So you've spent a lot of time in the development space. Could you tell us a bit about your experience of including communities and people affected by chronic health conditions in the work you do? Great. Thanks a lot, Kim. Over the years, my experience, uh, especially working in Nigeria, which is, of course, is a low resource setting. Yeah. And for instance, in rural communities has been very, very um, exciting, quite challenging, though. The, the idea here, especially working to include uh, persons with mental health conditions and psychosocial disabilities uh, within a context where mental health or disability is highly stigmatized uh, hasn't been easy. But what we have to do as project management or development people is to raise the awareness uh, about the issue, uh, get communities to understand that these issues are kind of human. They are not caused by uh, evil spirits or some misconceptions around around all of this. So just get people to accept and to love the people who are either affected or living with those conditions or living with disabilities and so that they can support them. And also for where their health, um, for mental health conditions, for instance, where they have access to uh, appropriate care services, then they will become well and they can become functional and live uh, quality lives and be useful to themselves and the society from which they live. So basically removing barriers to inclusion and uh, demystifying the issue and, and reducing stigma has been uh, the approaches that we've uh, applied to getting people to be included in society. Thank you very much. That's really interesting. And I wonder if you could give us an example of some of the participatory mechanisms you've used to do that. We have to, had to carry out social mobilization um, activities or strategies around this. Uh, mobilized communities have them to sit around into community dialogues to talk about the issues. Uh, and this is ha actually has to be culturally acceptable ways anyway. So uh, getting traditional leaders, religious leaders, including governments and people who are affected by the issues, for instance, persons with psychosocial disabilities and their family members and caregivers sit around together in the table to talk about their problems or their experiences and get them to understand how this impacts on them as a community. And then also to get them to think inwards on how they could use community-based resources to access care and then to also hold duty bearers accountable for a service provision and then to make communities even more inclusive for, for them. Yeah. I wonder when you sit around the table, I think, as, as you described there, are there some power dynamics around the community setting that you need to think of? I'm just thinking about someone who is affected by a chronic health conditions, you know, maybe being next to leaders and, and their kind of confidence in that setting to speak uh, the, the truth about how they're feeling. How do you manage that? 
Yeah, absolutely. There's this um, power imbalance anyway. Uh, but um, while we engage, uh, we engage on different fronts. So uh, at the community level, in engaging with people who are affected by chronic conditions, NTDs or mental health conditions, we bring them together in, in kind of subgroups or where they could provide some form of self-care or, so, or support to uh, more peer-to-peer -peer support for, for themselves, where they are also now trained and supported and um, getting them to just share experiences and when they see themselves as people who who have similar problems they go through a series of activities that could get them to a level of empowerment okay from a point where they don't have knowledge about their the, the issues that uh, affect them and then how those uh, issues can be resolved to the point where they are empowered and then they now know what to do uh, to care for themselves and then to also um, uh, move from the point of self-stigma and be able to uh, engage with this, the wider society. At that point, they will now, we now get them sit around the table with other community members and even the government to talk about these issues because they are now, they, they become self-aware and then they can self-advocate when they get to that point. It's a gradual mm -hmm. process because they also need to um, believe in themselves. Their mm -hmm. self-esteem and self-worth need to be uh, improved to a certain level before they can start talking about the, themselves and their problems to other people. Thank you very much. I think that's really interesting. And within the context of Nigeria specifically as well, are there additional considerations that you need to think about when connecting with communities and people? One of the things um, that stands out clearly is, is, is the culture and tradition of the people. And of course, uh, within Nigeria, it's a very diverse culture, a uh, uh, country of over 200 million people and uh, uh, six geopolitical zones. And even within those geopolitical zones, you have a lot of tribes um, from ranging from the minority to uh, ethnic minorities to those that are the major tribes or ethnic groups in the country and very distinct cultural differences as well. So all of these considerations are very, very important to take into account while engaging and so that uh, we're not rigid, we're just kind of a fluid way of doing these things and uh, uh, and making sure that we're adaptive in, in whatever we're doing in, in, to, to get um, communities to to engage and to accept and change their perceptions and attitudes towards uh, people with chronic conditions. Thank you very much. Terry, could you tell us a bit about your experience with engaging communities and people in research and in the context where you work? We have to appreciate that these are persistent health issues and requiring a broad range of preventive care and support services which are expected to be provided by numerous providers in several settings over a long period of time. Um, moreover, they tend to exert socioeconomic impact on economies and healthcare system. Uh, besides, uh, some of them uh, may have constituted uh, complex social issues that require additional resources for multi-sectoral policy coordination, multiple agency program, planning and service implementation. So it goes beyond just connecting with communities, but understanding this broader context, which now allows you to see how uh, program managers and planners can come up with a strategic uh, 
a comprehensive strategy uh, that uh, ensures that uh, there's prevention of new infections and there's treatment of established diseases and the mitigation of the impacts on individuals and societies. Uh, in implementing such a strategy, it requires the healthcare professionals and community-based services, as uh, Philip has already mentioned, to jointly work together across organizational boundaries to achieve better health outcomes for these sort of patients uh, with enhanced you know, efficiency. So my bas basic experience in, in connecting with communities is that, yes, uh, most times when programs like this are planned and implemented, they are usually technically feasible in terms of uh, training the health workers, preventing the drugs, and, and other issues that enable them to uh, provide care for, for them. However, uh, there is usually this um, thing about not recognizing the broader contents that tend to influence the services that are provided. In the first place, most times when services are provided, communities are not even aware that they are available and they can be assessed at the community level due to some cultural and social factors, such as stigma and discrimination that Philip had earlier alluded to. This tends to influence communities' attitude towards these persons, uh, as well as the person themselves, they, 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 they are health seeking behavior to assess these services uh, that, that are available. In addition, uh, the, the joint working across uh, both healthcare providers and community resources uh, is a new kind of model of organizing services for persons with chronic health conditions. And in reforming uh, the, the, the institutional context, uh, it is important to understand that apart from the content of the reform, the role of the context, whether it's uh, culturally based, religion and other things, and then the process of engaging this, uh, these persons, bringing them together, as well as the actors uh, to be involved, needs to be taken into action. Thank you very much. So really kind of looking at the health system holistically, the community are part of that and function within it. And it sounds like you're talking about a very biomedical model of handling care for chronic conditions in the past and that some of the social issues you mentioned are more complex. I was wondering if you could just add a bit more detail of some of those complex social issues that need to be considered. Yes. <laughs> yes, beyond stigma and discrimination, of course, which are many of them are uh, are quite interrelated, what we may call wicked problems, whereby the solutions themselves cause new problems, uh, are things to do with the uh, livelihood or economic status of those persons, whereby even if the services, support is given to them, because of discrimination and the stigma, they are not able to use those uh, resources effectively. There is also the lack of knowledge of community about several chronic diseases, not just entities, because I've worked on HIV AIDS and all that, the lack of knowledge, but also the ability to provide a sort of social contact with such persons. Uh, but what we have found is that uh, working in uh, mental health yeah, at the community level, uh, getting people into service user groups helps not only their confidence, but also to enable them to self-advocate and also to be able to now provide a level of social contact with their community. So they are, uh, these groups are able to not assess level uh, kind of um, providing knowledge and uh, dismissing knowledge, both to community members, but also to health workers 
and also to, to people who have to provide uh, the postholders who have to provide resources for them. Thank you very much. That is really quite detailed and wonderful to hear about the service user groups and how that added social context is so important. I have a million more questions, but I will hand over to Tosin to talk about uh, the essential care package that you've been working on a little bit more. Thank you very much, Kim. Um, so I will go to Philip now and um, just ask if you can tell us about the process of developing an essential care package to promote mental well-being amongst people affected by NTDs and how communities are involved. Great. So first of all, there are certain key considerations to have in mind. Even reviewing, doing desk review of existing uh, documents and maybe recommendations from the WHO, World Health Organizations and, and similar organizations, and looking at interventions uh, that have been tested as well, and then bringing all of this together, getting them to be validated uh, by a, a varying group of stakeholders from both the, across the health and non-health sector and including people who are affected by these chronic conditions and then um, getting the care package, the essential care package uh, document to be launched and accepted and domesticated by um, the various countries. Thank you. The purpose of this document is to provide evidence-based materials on mental health assessment, support and counseling stigma and discrimination management to improve skills of healthcare providers and health service planners working in primary care to be able to deliver mental health care to persons affected by entities. Uh, after several iterations and revisions and comments, a set of interventions for stigma reducing and mental neurological and substance use for persons affected by entities were identified. Uh, the focus of this it, it, of, the, of the intervention for both stigma and mental health conditions are structured in a way that they are directed at specific target groups. Uh, first, the affected persons, yeah, individuals and groups, uh, second, caregivers and families or household members, and third, frontline health workers, and then the community members and health service leaders. Now, these interventions are grouped according to what actions each specific target group can perform to reduce stigma, access, and to provide mental health support. After these uh, interventions have been selected, they were tested uh, in, in Nigeria among uh, Nigerian stakeholders to interrogate whether they are technically feasible or an issue how. And, and whether they are contextually feasible and the sort of issues we have discussed in terms of you know, how they manage stigma and all that. And to come out with specific tasks beyond the big actions that intervention have identified. While the pilot testing was done in Nigeria, it became quite obvious that these are common issues in low and medium-income countries or areas where ATDs are still very prevalent. Okay, thank you very much for adding that to the information that um, Philip had provided. Tari, I'd just like to sh for you to share with our audience uh, the details, if, if a little more detail on how communities, you know, were involved in the essential care package. Yeah, yeah, clearly the stakeholders have been here in this, uh, um, the stakeholder, the 
first, the primary con uh, consideration was given to persons with lived experience mm -hmm. of mental health and entities. Yes. Of course, those who are providing services to the health workers on the front line, and also program managers, both for mental health and entities. Uh, in particular, one state was used where uh, preliminary work has taken place in integrating uh, mental health and entities, and so they were quite uh, available to share those experiences uh, with uh, this. And so they are quite involved. I mean, it's not just um, uh, working for them, but working with them and the issues that they brought up and some of the issues they may not uh, actually understand that impact on their care and also for service planners and managers to to appreciate the, the kind of issues, the kind of um, difficulties or, or problems they may be facing in assessing service, services. Okay, thank you very much. What can promote the use of the essential care package globally and ensure that people are involved in shaping it to meet their needs within their specific contexts? I think there's this whole thing about uh, recognizing the need for which WHO has uh, um, always promoted and is still promoting of providing uh, people-centered services, mm. uh, collaborative services. And, and I think that kind of reorientation is important. And once people get that reorientation, uh, they will know that now um, there is, it's the new way of organizing services whereby uh, they need to develop and maintain uh, a culture of collaboration, a culture of collaborative service delivery, both uh, for mutual benefits so that each person, whether it's NTD, they will get the benefits of mental health and mental health is able to provide a set of services that persons with mental health need, you know, but for a common purpose. So it's no longer because the healthcare up until now, even several years of um, advocating uh, for integrated care, uh, we still very much work in silos and people with this. Uh, in the last uh, stakeholder meeting, I think that point was made very clear that both parties, uh, whichever services are integrated, need to know the frame of reference of each other and having known that they, they cannot see, uh, not just complement what they need to do to be able to work together in terms of sharing resources, altering the activities and developing each other's capacity to be able to achieve a common purpose. And, it, and there's also mutual benefit in that the mental health people are able to do what they need to do to be able to uh, meet their program requirements and mental health, uh, the NTD people are also do, doing the same. So there's mutual benefit uh, to achieve a common purpose, but then working together and knowing each other's uh, frame of reference and we trust and another, uh, but but it is it's important to just state that collaboration is a very lengthy process, and it requires occasionally some bit of handholding or with the or the role of a convener to hold them, you know, by force of purpose to deliver that common outcome. Yeah, thank you. And I think that's the point that you have made. Just that last point that you've made, um, coupled with what you said at the beginning, people have been used to working in silos. And um, it's important to now begin to build a lot of this collaboration because primarily it's um, a people or person-centered you know, service um, delivery that we're looking at. But then the key thing around it is trust. You know, there's, in the past, it's my patient, my space, my place, you know, and I, I don't know what you think, but it's looking like it, it may take some time with all of this collaborative effort for a lot of those barriers 
that are being broken down to be broken down completely, you know, so that that space is available and everyone knows we're all working towards the same goal. Now, Philip, I'll just come back to you quickly. And um, what, what do you have anything to add as to how we can promote the use of this essential care package globally and ensure people are involved in shaping it to meet their context-based needs? Great. Yeah. So in addition to all that has been said, we are able to promote these essential care packages. We need to look at how they reflect in our plans. And so, for instance, the master plan, then the awareness is being raised uh, about um, what actions are recommended or documented within the plans and the states and all of those components of uh, the region are also going to domesticate them at their own levels. Uh, so people are aware of um, the availability of this set of interventions and uh, what they can do or what they need to do to make sure that the mental health needs of persons affected by neglected tropical diseases are also addressed within NCD care. So that's just uh, what I need to add to that. Okay, thank you very much for that addition. Um, you've talked about the master plan. And um, of course, we know that because Nigeria operates a federal system from that level, you know, it devolves around and then um, it devolves down and uh, states are able to take on and uh, modify and um, contextualize. And that goes right down to the local government and rights to the communities. Thank you very much, uh, Tari and Philip, for, for, for uh, giving us that wonderful insight into the essential care package. I'll hand over back to Kim now for the final wrap-up. Kim, over to you. Thanks very much. Um, so to wrap up the session, we always like to focus it back to how we connect with communities. And the focus of this whole series has been about mental health and neglected tropical diseases. So Dr. Terry Asoka, what advice would you give to others working in this field before they even begin to think about uh, being a researcher in this area? Yeah, I think um, this this whole thing about uh, engaging communities and um, yeah, many people have not developed this sort of skills or competences to, to do that. What we found is that the engaging communities, irrespective of what issues need to be dealt with, uh, the kind of processes and approaches are universal and they, can, they are easily adaptable. So people should not think that uh, they do not have the skills to be, to be able to integrate mental health into uh, NTDs. And they should just uh, piggyback on those skills that they've already used in other areas, since engaging communities, sensitizing them, advocacy, and then look at those specific issues that are related to NTDs and then uh, use them to engage those communities. Yes, there are also areas that they may not be fully aware, for example, in uh, setting up and uh, supporting self-help groups. Yes, they can get those kind of skills and see where those have happened. In Nigeria, because of our extensive uh, knowledge and experience with setting up self-help groups for mental health uh, persons with uh, lived experience of mental uh, psychosocial disorders, it is easy for us to use that, uh, so what I call that sort of soft technology, and transfer it to entities and or any other area because we learn a lot more uh, in mental health and to other areas. We have also used the experience of um, uh, HIV/AIDS. 
in terms of uh, addressing stigma and discrimination and addressing those, those areas. So those sort of experiences are now becoming very valuable in, this, in, the, in a way to also address stigma and discrimination against persons with NTD. So it's a kind of uh, having that sort of uh, uh, open mind that knowledge is transferable from one area to the other, but there are also specific issues from those, those areas and then they should be able to, uh, to use whatever and learn through the process rather than just wait. Thank you very much. That's really useful piece of advice there. So draw on the experience of others and uh, have that confidence that the skills are there. It's just applying them to a new field. Can I just ask you for a couple of examples of what skills at a personal level you think are needed to really engage with communities? Yeah, in the first, we have uh, interpersonal skills. That, I mean, there's no, uh, there's no way we can overemphasize that, um, especially healthcare workers and all that. Uh, but the skills of social contact, I mean, we have experience in Nigeria whereby we train teachers on mental health um, uh, knowledge. And when they went back to their schools, they were able to form mental uh, health clubs with their students. And we've had uh, stories whereby um, within a very short period of such trainings, uh, children have issues like with epileptic feet and all that. And, but because of that training, they were able to not only help those persons and the, the knowledge that acquired by the peers of, of the child itself were used. And so training and social contact and then to be able to now expand those training and cascade those training to other people. And then, of course, working with uh, authorities, like, for example, here at school authorities to be able to accept that. So these are some of the skills that are, that are required, you know, beyond interpersonal skills, knowledge and all that, but social contact with persons with lived experience and, and, uh, and then being able to use them to, to amplify the messages into communities and elsewhere. Thank you very much. So final question, Philip, what advice would you give to others around connecting with communities? All right. Thanks a lot, Kim. One major thing I'd like to encourage others mm -hmm. about connecting with communities, it's around stigma and discrimination. Many people do not understand, and I also like to permit me to use the word preach, is that people with lived experience of a chronic condition like mental health or a neglected tropical uh, disease. It could be acquired, it could be um, something that uh, they, they were not affected or in, uh, with this kind of um, disease before. And so it, it just, it's something that happened as a result of the environment they found themselves. So it, it could also happen to another person uh, uh, who was not affected today. So if we are not able to provide that kind of a support system, um, today, it might also happen to us tomorrow. And so we need to create a society where or, or we can accommodate people with um, a lived experience of a chronic condition and how we can provide that kind of support or uh, we are at the point of um, providing resources to, for, to create that kind of support system, then we need to do that. Otherwise, we are ultimately uh, promoting injustices and inequalities within the system or our society, and uh, it has a way of coming back to us. And so we just need to support one another as much as possible, irrespective of whether we are living with a chronic health condition or not. 
I think that's so important. And thank you for bringing that up. It's almost like a, a relational empathy to build a support network that's part of our everyday lives. It's uh, so well put. Thank you, Philip. I, I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. So on that um, last absolute gem of advice, we shall end the episode. So I want to say thank you for our two amazing guests for their contribution of knowledge. I've certainly learned a lot. And to Tosin, uh, who is our co-host, as always, thank you for, for navigating us through the the, the project-specific information. And thank you to our listeners. We ask you to like, rate, share, and subscribe so we can continue to share the voices uh, across the globe to improve global health. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye for now. Bye. 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 Bye.